Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls. I'm Luke, and we are here with a Sox episode uh, for this uh, Thursday morning podcast. I am here with two of our regulars, Derek and Joey, uh, and we have a special guest with us. Uh, Pat will not be here be here tonight, so I'm well today. So I'm in the host chair. Uh, I'm happy to say Pat's not absent because of any of his legal issues. Now he's not here because we're recording during the the uh, Wednesday night Red Sox Nationals game, and Pat and his the love of his life Taylor are at. Is it Nationals Park? They're at the ball game right now for Pups in the Park night. So it's Pat, it's Taylor, it's like 7,000 people from the Washington area, and about 5,000 dogs. So in case we don't see Pat again, because that's the worst idea I've ever heard of, and I feel like there will be hundreds of in- injuries in Nationals Park by the end of the night, uh, it was nice knowing you, Pat. Uh, you will be missed. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that this was also Marine Night at in uh, Nationals Park. So I think because they knew that they were going to have all these dogs uh, in in the park, uh, they needed some uh, tough guys to help out just in case anything went awry, which it will before long. Um, so, uh, but right now, uh, let me introduce uh, our guest. Um, he is, uh, we know him now as Micah. We've just met him, but you know him through, if you're on Red Sox Twitter as Ballpark Buzz, uh, one of the more high profile Red Sox Twitter accounts you'll find, and one of the more level-headed Twitter accounts you'll find. And it is very, very difficult to find level-headed Red Sox Twitter personalities. Um, so Micah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight. And, uh, we'll start our first pitch with you. How's everything going? everything is great i appreciate you having me on um i don't know if i'm level-headed i appreciate the compliment but uh (laughs) i feel like i'm sometimes all over the place uh depends on how the red Sox are playing um i just ride the wave especially with this 2023 team if i would have known that it was dog night at nationals park i would have taken my dog cooper i'm only about an hour and a half from nationals park i didn't know about this i'm kind of (laughs) mad Well, that's a bummer, but I think, um, you know, I don't know what kind of health plan you have, but I think, I, I, I'm sorry, this, I may be the only one that thinks this, but I feel like that's a disaster waiting to happen. Like, imagine you, I have a dog, is a golden doodle, he's like 65 pounds, and he's whole, he's not trained at all. He can sit sometimes, but, I mean, if he was sitting next to me, even on his leash at a park, he would be pulling, 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 pulling at the closest dog he could, and he would be peeing on or humping whatever the closest dog was to him. He'd be doing everything he could to do that. Um, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm, it sounds like an incredibly uh, stressful uh, night at the ball uh, at the uh, the ballpark. Um, but uh, that's cool because Pat, uh, who is our usually our host on our socks and uh, rivalry show, uh, he lives in him and ta- his girlfriend Taylor live in Baltimore, so uh, you are not that far from them. Um, let's, uh, next, uh, Joey, let's have your first, first pitch. He's fresh, uh, off of his recent trip to Kansas. Uh, he clicked his Ruby slippers together three times, I believe Monday, and, uh, was instantly transported back home. Uh, Joey, how was, uh, how was life in the middle of the country? Well, it was great to be in, you know, real America. I, uh, went to, I visited a cornfield. I hung out in the cornfield for a little bit. I, I went to the Harry Truman Museum and 
you know, uh, I have various opinions on that museum, but, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I was there for about three hours. It was a, it was a big to do. I also ate a lot of barbecue ribs. Um, I think I had either barbecue ribs or, or fried chicken for every meal while I was there. Uh, needless to say, I've been quite lethargic since I've gotten back. I, I don't know if my body has fully recovered from that sort of diet. And one thing I want to say before we get started is, first, I want to lodge uh, a formal complaint of protest for Luke hosting this show. Uh, for however it turns out, everyone knows that this is a, a biased moderator and, and he might use this opportunity to attack me unfairly. So I want to put on the record that I knew, and all of you should also know, that that's happening. And, and on the topic of uh, Pat going to the game with the dogs, two things, Luke. First of all, it's a Nationals game. No one's going to be there. It's not going to be anyone there. There will be, there will be five, five dogs, right? You know, there'll be, uh, maybe, maybe let's call it, let's call it 10 dogs and, and, and five other, uh, dink couples, dual, dual income, no kid couples. That will be about it for that whole stadium for that night, which I'm glad maybe, maybe the, uh, the nationals will have the incentive to end the game as early as possible due to the smell reeking from the stands. But yeah, uh, other than that, I'm doing well and I'm happy to see the recent successes of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, it's, I find it interesting. You went to the Harry Truman museum, uh, during considering that Oppenheimer's out. I know you rushed, you ran, not walked, uh, to go see Barbie, uh, once it was released. Have you seen Oppenheimer yet? I saw Oppenheimer the next day with my buddy. It was good. It was a good movie. It was a little long. And I think I think there's been so few good movies to come out in the last few years that because Oppenheimer is like a really just like a good movie, everyone kind of talks about it like it's one of the best. It's not. It's really good. It's definitely worth watching. And, you know, there are some historical flaws and maybe some commentary that I didn't personally enjoy from that movie. But I think most people can find something from that movie that they'd like. Yeah, I felt like it was great, but it could definitely be a recency bias uh, thing to that because I, I can't remember the last time I was at the movies and just thought, wow, that's great. I mean, I thought that when I saw Top Cut and Maverick and Avatar 2, but... I mean, that's kind of, those are both good, but, you know, those aren't classic movies. I felt like Oppenheimer was a classic, but I think maybe if we looked at it through the lens of, like, the mid-90s, that might not be the same. Uh, Derek, uh, how's it going with you? How's the sleep schedule going? What time What time did you go to bed last night? I actually went to bed at 11 o'clock last night. We're actually, we're actually, we're working on it. We're getting there. Um I, I found out my class schedule for when I go back to school. So I, my first class is until 9.30 in the morning, which thank the Lord. Uh, if I had an 8 a.m. class, I'd probably miss that class like twice a week. But I don't, so thank the Lord for that. Um, that's what happened when I went to school my freshman year. Although I think my teacher didn't show up to class 50% of the time either. So I got away with it because um, she canceled the class about half the time. So uh, but no, I'm excited about that. I got, I'm starting to get my sleep schedule back under control. Maybe, hopefully, um, Joey, if you ever need another want, don't want Luke to host, you can always ask me to host, but just know you're going to have to talk about prospects if I host. So, you know, you can pick the, you know, I guess in your eyes, maybe the worst of two, the, the better of two evils, maybe the better depending um, on what time of the year it is, Derek, I, I could certainly accept that. Yeah. Three-hour um, prospect marathon show. 
Speaking of oh, three-hour prospect, three-hour marathon shows, I I neglected to mention that Micah is actually on the uh, Bo- uh, the Bastards of Boston uh, baseball podcast. He does their um, their uh, series recaps um, after every uh, the end of every Red Sox series. Um, uh, so uh, make sure to check that out uh, and hear more of Micah there. Um, so let's, uh, get this show on the road, so to speak, now that we're about 10 minutes in. Um, so I guess we'll start with, uh, the, the Red Sox, uh, starting rotation. That's probably been the most common topic that we've discussed this season, uh, because the rotation has been in a state of flux all season long. We've been unsure what to expect, who, who to even be, who will even be in the rotation week to week pretty much all season long until now. I feel like we finally have an idea of what this five-man rotation is going to look like uh, for the last six weeks of the season. So um, uh, I'll be a hospitable uh, host and let our guests go first. Uh, Micah, what are your thoughts? Is this five-man rotation that we foresee in front of us for the rest of the season, is this rotation good enough for the Red Sox to make a playoff push this year? That's a tough one. Um, I, I, I'm curious. I, it sure sounds like Tanner Houck is coming back to the rotation. I think he's scheduled to pitch Monday against the Astros. So if you if you remember back um, prior to that unfortunate injury with Houck, um, he had those good starts against the Yankees. But other than that, he was really starting to get hit around. So I do find it interesting that Hauk is being put right back in the rotation. Um, so if we go player by player, I mean, James Paxton, he's been pretty solid for the most part. He's had a couple of tough starts, but he's been way more than we any Red Sox fan could have imagined. I think Bayo might be facing a little fatigue. Um, first full season in the big leagues, but he's still really, really good. He's giving you quality starts. And I, 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 I'm not concerned with him, um, but I do think he kind of outpitched his um, a little bit the expectations there for about six weeks. But I'm super high on on Bayo moving forward. The the one guy that I I'm a huge fan of, and I know it's kind of split amongst Red Sox fans, is Cutter Crawford. I I think he's been super valuable to this team, and I think he is a huge reason as to why they're still afloat and competitive in the wild card standings. And it, it appears that he might be the odd man out in this rotation and going to, to the bullpen potentially, I would either say it's him or Nick Pavetta. Um, but I, I would probably say Pavetta is going to stay in the rotation. Uh, but Crawford has been pretty good, especially away from Fenway park. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're following along, the Red Sox just gave up a three run Homer Garrett Whitlock. So that's unfortunate, but, um, they just gave up another Homer too. Yeah. Back to back home runs. Oh, wow. Wow. Caber Ruiz and Stone Garrett. Wow. Well now Red Sox fans will say, uh, Garrett Whitlock shouldn't be a reliever. They'll just go back on that train. (laughs) DFA Whitlock. That's, that's going to be, that's (laughs) happening right now on Twitter. Oh gosh, uh, Red Sox Twitter or something else, but um, yeah, I the rotation is is it good enough? I think it's I think it's decent enough. I think with the bullpen, obviously minus the Whitlock blow up that we just experienced, um, I think the bullpen 
the fact that it could they could make it a five or you know only go five innings or six innings and then the game feels really in control i think that's a really intriguing um aspect about this team you're not you don't need the starters to go seven innings eight innings because the bullpen this might be one of the best bullpens the red sox have had in terms of depth that i've ever seen um so i think the bullpen being a strength helps the rotation but with the schedule coming up i mean it's a it's a gauntlet to to finish the year and i don't know you know chris sale looked good against detroit but I don't know how well sales going to hold up for the next six weeks. That's, that's kind of TBD. So um, I think they can keep them in the mix, but do they have enough to get them over the hump? I'm not quite sure. So I think uh, most uh, th- that's pretty much the best case scenario that most fans are are thinking like a lot of uh, 2016, no 2015 Royals uh, vibes here, ride the bullpen as long as you can and hope that the, uh, the starters can, um, you know, the starters can just hang in the game long enough to get it to the bullpen. Uh, Joey, what are your thoughts? Uh, what do you see? At, at least t- I, I will say before I give it to Joey, at least they're letting Tanner Houck get his feet wet nice and uh, easily by throwing him into a, a blah game against the Houston Astros for his first uh, start uh, after a couple months on the uh, IL. So, uh, Joey, what do you, what are you where are you at with this rotation? Joey might be frozen. Joey, can you hear me? All right, some editing to do. Uh, uh, Derek, where are you at on this rotation? Oh, and we've lost Luke. This is wait. We've lost Luke. It's fine. Uh, Joey, uh, I think Luke is going to you anyways. Um, this is fantastic. So he mentioned he mentioned the Royals in 2015, how they had a really good bullpen, um, and how like their bullpen was, you know, how the Red Sox, you know, seemingly building a good bullpen, um, and that Royals team didn't have a really headline starter until they traded for Johnny Cueto at the deadline, and Cueto wasn't even that great for them. He was okay. He was good, not great. Um, what are your thoughts on this rotation, Joey? Uh, what are you looking at I'm for the rest glad. of? The, can they keep them in the playoff picture? I'm glad Luke left so I could have my moment. Without his interference. No, the, the starting rotation is not good enough. People like Whitlock clearly, well, first of all, are in the bullpen now. And second, aren't capable of throwing enough innings as needed. Hauk, you don't know what you're going to get with him when he comes back. And even before that, he had some inconsistency issues. Carter Crawford is basically a rookie. You can't expect him to be in there for a deep playoff run. You, you, Sale is obviously an enigma. We, we just we just don't know. We just don't know what he's going to be like in a month's time. I believe this team, I think generally speaking, a real serious contender has to have two out of three uh, out of two out of these three things. They need to have great hitting, a great bullpen, or a great rotation. I don't think you necessarily need to have all three to be competitive. Problem is, is, you know, people like Yoshida have been slumping. The offense is now pretty inconsistent. They, they, they are not stellar. Even with this recent surge, they're just, they're just not quite. I think at playoff level or quite at the highest tier of competition. 
But yeah, the rotation, you just don't have enough guys that can pitch enough innings. You don't have enough guys that can make enough starts. So no, this is not a playoff rotation. It could have been a playoff rotation, I think, if you had made some additions, maybe a couple mid um, middling starters or maybe one front-end starter. I think they could have done it, and then I think we'd be maybe having a different conversation. But I don't think this team will make the playoffs, but if they do, they don't have the starting pitching to go very far. Oh, Luke, you're back. Thank you. Yeah, Luke's back. Um, I'll, I'll throw my... I'll throw in my point on this. I I, I think that the rotate. I think they'll keep the Red Sox in the playoff mix. Like I think we'll get into September. This team will still be playing competitive games, which I think is what heading into the year a lot of people asked for. They wanted competitive games in September, and I think this team will give the Red Sox that. Will this rotation get them into the playoffs? I think that's a little bit of a different question than will this team keep them in the playoff picture. Um. I think this rotation can keep them in the playoff picture. I think Pavetta probably goes to the pen, at least maybe. Um, at least that's what maybe it seems like to me. Um, that I, I mean, he's kind of been using mostly as an with an opener anyway, so he's been coming out of the pen anyways. Uh, so and Cutter Crawford, I think he, he's been very solid as like you know your back end rotation arm, back end rotation starter. He's been fine there, so I'm I'm totally cool keeping him there. Uh, so it, it's just interesting to see. Where, how good can this rotation be down the stretch? Because Bayo's slowed down a little bit. Um, Paxton's had a, had a rough outing here or there, but he's been still solid for the most part. You got Sale coming back. Who knows how good he's going to be? Who knows how good Hauk's going to be? Hauk looked good today in his rehab assignment, his rehab start in Worcester, but how, like I said, how good is he going to be in the big leagues? So it, there's kind of four question marks in the rotation as to how good are they going to be. If we get the Bayo that was pitching like a number one starter or close to that, like, okay. And then you get Paxton who's pitching as like a number two starter. You get the sale who's being Chris sale and pitching really good. And you get a really good Tanner Houck. Like that's a rotation that could help this team get into the postseason, but you're not sure you can get that. They'll be good enough to keep them in the playoff picture and keep it close. I just don't know about getting into the postseason. So all six, and I say six because it's kind of, we got six starting pitchers for five spots. They've all shown uh, flashes of greatness this season uh, for not just one start here or there. They've all had uh, significant lengths of time where they've pitched really well. Um, it, the thing is, they've all also had stretches where they've been hurt a lot or also, you know, where they haven't been uh, good, except Bayo, maybe, unless you count every time he pitches during the gay uh, during the day and he stinks every time the sun's out for some reason. Um, I think I agree that Pavetta is probably headed to the bullpen. Uh, once how comes back, I feel like that's where he's best suited. And with all the injury question marks, I feel like I wouldn't start this. I wouldn't trust this rotation in April to get through the season, but I feel like we can trust them to get through the the last six weeks of the season without any serious injuries. And they do have some redundancy uh, with Pavetta there uh, to step in. Um, I feel like Paxton and Bayo both may be wearing down from the grind of the season. One of these guys hasn't had to pitch this late into the season in what, four years. And the other one hasn't had to pitch this much in a season in his life. So uh, a lot of quest a lot of question marks uh, clearly uh, with the rotation. I feel like with a bullpen as good as this bullpen is, though, that they do have the capability to do it. Uh, as long as the offense is hitting, 
the, the offense needs to get back back on track big time. Um, so sorry, I dropped off there unexpectedly. I'll, I'll be doing that every time Joey speaks, uh, during this show, uh, just protesting just him in general, just this is my protest against Joey. Um, so, uh, let's move on, uh, to our next topic, which I actually feel like has been kind of under the radar considering the way the season has gone down. Um, Half of Red, the Red Sox fans out there seem to hate Heim Bloom, and the other half seem to love him and would run into a wall for him. But Alex Cora, Alex Cora has his guys that love him. I'm one of those guys. He has his guys that really hate him. But I feel like the majority of Red Sox fans don't really know where they stand on uh, Alex Cora. So, uh, Joey, we'll start with you on this one. Um, excuse me while I drop while my internet connection drops off again, quote unquote. Uh, but uh, where are you at on Alex Cora, Joe? Well, while the Russian hackers destroy Luke's mainframe, uh, I think on Alex Cora, Yet. You know, I've never been a huge fan of Alex Cora. And I think a lot of Red Sox fans have attacked him at times. And I, but that that's what happens with every manager. Every manager gets criticized. Every manager gets picked apart. And every manager occasionally makes some bad decisions. But... I think the way he was able to handle the rotation situation this year was pretty admirable. He isn't being given the tools by the front office to build a winning team. And that's why, personally, I think there's a lot of tension between the Bloom regime and Alex Cora. I, I, I absolutely believe that Cora wants to lead a winner. He wants a team to be competitive. He wants the team to be successful. He wants to play with veterans and elite players. He doesn't want to deal with rookies and these young guns. And that's not the option Bloom is giving him. Cora also seems to have this issue. I don't remember this as much from other managers, and you guys are a little older than me, so you might be able to tell me if I'm wrong here. But Cora has, I feel like, had more personal problems with different players than any manager I can remember. Erod, Verdugo, I think Cora does rub some people the wrong way. And that's fine as long as he gets the job done. I think it's going to be a difficult offseason for him to survive. If ownership doesn't take the scalp of Heim Bloom, Heim Bloom will certainly want to scapegoat someone for this failure of this season if we don't make the playoffs. Um. All right, I I gotta dis I, I disagree with everything you said there. Just about the Erod thing, like he didn't have a personal issue with Erod. He just told him not to not to tap his wrist, um, to taunt people in the middle of a of a playoff game. If um, you didn't think there was other stuff behind that, I, I don't know what planet you're on. They that was not the first time they had issues. That was not the first time. Wait, are you just saying because or else he wouldn't have said anything, or have you heard about other issues? Like Erod and Cora, there was like a bunch of different stories and things that came out. Yeah, Cora like was rough on him particularly, and Cora would say things like, "Oh, he's immature" and other stuff like that. Yeah, they they don't like each other. Hmm. I don't remember that, but I'll take I'll take your word for it. I think Cora does. I I think the prevailing theory is that Cora and Bloom get along really well, like a lot better than a lot of GM and manager uh, combos out there. 
and that he does want a winner, which is why he's glad Heimblum's going to be the president around here for a while. Um, Micah, what what do you think? Uh, what what are you, what are your thoughts on Alex Cora's performance this year? I think he's done an incredible job with this roster because I don't think this roster, no one expected this roster to be really good or compete for a playoff spot. Devers said it, I believe, in a quote to Alex uh, Spear today or yesterday, like no one had us here. It's kind of us against the world type of mentality because, you know, there were so many question marks. And I mean, the Red Sox have had, a bullpen game, at least one, but they had two for what it was like two months and they stayed afloat. Like that is amazing in the um, specifically the American League East, but they're they're still in it. And they had three starters and they had one who is learning how to be a starter in Cutter Crawford. So it's just it's incredible that they've been in in this mix and still are competing for a wild card spot in August, um, you know, that you could point to some decisions throughout the the season. You could, you know, there's games you can say, I don't know if I like that move, but you could do that with every single manager around the league. But he has managed the bullpen incredibly well. Um, you know, he's pushing all the right buttons. You know, just look at Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy was, had a six plus ERA in AAA. And he comes to the big leagues and it's like Alex Cora is putting him in the absolute perfect spots and not overworking him or trying to get too many outs with him. And he has a sub two ERA or something like, or he had a sub two ERA before that Toronto series. He still might, but he's been amazing. And I just think he's pushing all the right buttons with the bullpen. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Tristan Casas is breaking out. I think that has a lot to do with Alex Cora's confidence in him as a player, um, Jaron Duran, same thing. Like it just, I, I think he really connects with the players. Um, and I think he's doing a great job as for the Heim Bloom connection. Um, I wonder with Bloom not adding really a, a, a big league piece, unless you count Urias as a piece. I, I really don't. I mean, he's here, but that's not something significant. I do wonder what Alex Cora thinks in terms of like, you know, the team is here. We've played pretty well. They had an incredible July and you didn't give us really anything to get better. I do wonder if you asked him off the record, what his thoughts were, were would be about that situation. Um, yeah, I think the issue with that is if you got Chris Sale and Tanner, how coming back, you add, you got a full staff other than that. You add a couple starting pitchers. Then what do you do with Chris Sale and Tanner Houck? Say they come back in their their old selves. I mean, all of a sudden, what are you gonna you gonna start DFAing people? Because I can't think of many pitchers. What are you gonna send down Cutter Crawford? Um, you know, uh, so that gets to uh, you're gonna send down Brennan Bernardino. So uh, that's where that gets a little dicey for me. Joey, I want to retort to something that you said. So when you said Heimblum's gonna want may want to scapegoat Cora if the Red Sox don't make the playoffs, which would make this season a failure. However, you have said repeatedly this season, and I quote, this team was not built to win this year. Now, they, you said from the beginning this was uh, this roster was full of holes. 
Um, you didn't let, you didn't really have any faith with the team. Which you agree with. You, I mean, do you not think this roster was full of holes? Do I, I thought the starting rotation was, uh, I, I thought there wasn't enough guaranteed, enough guaranteed health in the starting rotation. Um, I liked the hitters and I liked the bullpen from the beginning, but how can you say the team wasn't built to win all season and then say it's a complete failure if that team that wasn't built to win doesn't make the playoffs? It's a very easy thing to answer because it's the difference between my opinion and Heim Bloom's opinion, or at least what Heim Bloom says to the public. Heim Bloom does not come out and say, well, yeah, I didn't build this team to win. <laughs> what, like, what, what are you talking about? Oh, I didn't build this team for success. That's what I say. I say that this team is not built for success. It's not built to win. It's not built, built to go deep in the playoffs, right? Heim Bloom does say that. Heim Bloom does say that his team is built to be successful and it's built to win. So when he is greeted with failure at the end of the season, which is the most likely outcome at this point, then he may look for someone else to blame that's not him. I think that's very simple, and it happens all of the time in sports. A lot of the times in football, right, head coaches, heads roll after the season ends. So it's not an uncommon practice. And I think that if I'm Alex Cora, I'm doing all I can to – and I'm, I'm doing all I can to show how great of a manager I am and that the Red Sox will be sorely missing me if Bloom tries to remove him. And I also think that Bloom, besides – wanting to look for a, a potential scapegoat probably wants a manager. That's his guy, right? He probably wants a Tampa guy or some guy in the minors that he hired someone that he has a personal relationship with and shares the same baseball philosophy with Alex Cora and Heim Bloom do not share the same baseball philosophy. They do not share the same perspective on winning. So Heim Bloom probably only kept Cora on board because of ownership. So if ownership ever gives Bloom the go-ahead to get rid of Cora, maybe after a losing season, maybe Cora is blamed for a few things, that he will go and do so. Joey is the Agent Smith to my Neo. Derek. I, 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 I want to take this real quick. Yeah. I, 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 I want to quickly say that Heim did hire Cora, and we've heard from this, it's fully Heim's decision. It wasn't uh, ownership's pressuring the hire Cora. Also, too, I don't. If Cora leaves, it's not because Heim's firing him. It's because Cora doesn't want to be a manager anymore. We've heard it before that Cora's like, ah, I don't really want to manage for that long. I'd rather end up in the be in the front office and not have to be a manager. And be, he'd much rather be in the front office. So I think if Cora leaves, it's not because it's going to be because Heim's getting rid of him. It's because he's moving up to the front office, well, or he's actually, moving up Derek, to the front office with a different team. I think that's a great point, Derek. I think if if Cora leaves. It could be because Heimblum has built such a bad team that Cora knows that he's in no position to build a winning ball club. I think that's actually a perfect a perfect statement. Cora's been saying this for right. years, though. This isn't a new thing. I know, but what gives someone more of an incentive to leave? A team that finishes 500 or a team that goes and wins 95 games and goes to the World Series, right? When, what team are you going to abandon? Right? It's going to be the 500 ball cup. That's a short, but that's ball. also a short-sighted way of looking at it because you well, can also look at it and go. A, of course it's a short-sighted way of looking at it. Yeah, of course it is. Cora, does, Cora isn't signing up to manage a baseball team for 10 years, which is what you just said. He wants to win now. He wants to go and put his effort in now and to achieve a winning season and go get a World Series ring. 
So you're absolutely correct. If Cora leaves, it is probably the fault of Heim Bloom for building such an uncompetitive franchise that Alex Cora does not want to manage for the Boston Red Sox anymore. He might not want to manage for 10 more years, but he might want to manage for five more years. And you look at this team, the way it's going to look next season, you add one starting pitcher to it, and all of a sudden this looks like one of the better teams in the league. But um, Derek, why don't you weigh in on uh, Alex Cora's performance this year? I think it's not a good job. I also I hate looking at things in hindsight in terms of like he shouldn't have brought this reliever in because the reliever gave up three runs. It's like like Garrett Whitlock for tonight, for example, shouldn't have brought in Garrett Whitlock because he gave up four runs. It's like, well, hold on, who pitched yesterday? Bernardino, uh, Winkowski, Schreiber, Martin, Jansen. They've all pitched two of the last three days, right? You're probably not using. You're not. You probably want to stay away from those guys if possible. You know Whitlock can go two winnings, eight and nine. If you can get that out, Whitlock would be perfect in a perfect scenario. Doesn't work, didn't pan out. But when, at the time, you look at that decision, you go, yeah, you trust Garrett Whitlock in that situation. There are going to be people who maybe say, are going to complain, why'd you bring a get Whitlock looking at it, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. I don't like to do that because it's a very, very much a, you're very much being reactionary and a manager reactionary to the result and the manager can't know what the result is ahead of time if the manager knew what the result was going to be ahead of time uh they never make any wrong decisions because they would know the future and if somehow someone knew how to know the future i mean great for them but like it's kind of not possible uh so i I think core's done a really good job with what he has it's been a little bit of a rough season in terms of injuries and all that stuff and i know they're hoping to have guys even like adalberto mondesi who's you know who after I hope I know they're hoping to have him originally in like May, and he's now been shut down for the rest of the year. So that happened today. So, like, and he's a guy where it's like I know Pablo Reyes has been great, and Yu Chang has been very much, very much filled a hole. But like, Alberto Montes played in the big leagues. He's a big leaguer, and you, you at least thought okay, he would have been part of the mix, and that just didn't happen. So you had to go and get the Pablo Reyes. You had to keep the Yu Chang playing shortstop every day because Kike couldn't play short, right? So. I, I think with what the kind of cards he's been dealt, which isn't the most favorable deck, he's done a very good job with it. Um, and I, I think, too, that Cora has no... I don't think he has any reason to leave. I think the Red Sox have full faith in him. I think he has faith in this Red Sox organization. Um, I think he kind of sees the big picture of it. He, he said, I know him and Haim had conversations before the trade deadline, and Alex Cora said like a week before the trade deadline, we're going to do a thing or two, but you might not love what we do. And that's basically him saying we're not going to make any big splash moves or anything, but we're going to do what we think is best. And that's what they did. Whether you like it or don't like it, that's what they did. And he was seemingly on board with it um, based off the interviews he did. So I, I think he had, I think he's a great fit for Boston. I think the, I think Heim wants to stick with them. I think Cora wants to stick with the Red Sox. I think it's the right fit all around, and I don't see any reason why you'd change the dynamic of it. There's no reason to change. The only reason to change it is if Cora just doesn't want to be the manager and wants to bump up into the front office. That's the only way I see it changing. So I see Cora as a manager of the year candidate this year with everything he's done. Dealt an incomplete roster, I'll admit, because of all the the questionable health in the rotation, which has reared its ugly head this season, and uh, a roster that was built with the future prioritized. It certainly wasn't an an all-in, win-now kind of situation. Tons of injuries all all season long until next Monday is probably going to be the first time all season this team has been at full strength. Um, 
the the way he's mixed and matched the lineups daily, the lefty heavy lineup, the righty heavy lineup, um, dealing with a problem child like Verdugo, um, underperformers like Kike Hernandez and Nick Pavetta earlier in the season, a fan base that hates management, and he still has them in contention uh, for a playoff spot. And, uh, I mean, it's weird saying that now, considering what Garrett Whitlock just did, but it's been nearly flawless bullpen management. The Red Sox are 50-3 and three, uh, when when they have the lead in the sixth inning or later this season. Um, so uh, I think Alex Cora has done an amazing job this year. Um, and I don't really – and when Verdu- there was a problem with Verdugo, he's protected everybody this season except when Verdugo screwed up, showed up late at the worst possible time in the season. He lit him up in public the way he should have. That's not a guy you protect. That's not a situation where you protect that guy. Um, so, uh, now, uh, let's, uh, let's move on to, um, our fair or foul game. So it's pretty simple. I will give a statement and each, each of these guys is going to tell me if that's fair, fair to say, or if it's foul to say. Um, so, uh, in very topical, look at the way this offense has performed the last few weeks, uh, recovered a little bit in the Detroit series at Fenway this past weekend, but. Uh, the strength of this team, other than the bullpen, was just this offense. Uh, they, they, this team has hit pretty well, except a few cold spells, but this is the longest cold spell of the season so far. And it could be just that the dog days of summer has this team burned out. Is this Red Sox offense out of gas? Fair or foul? Derek? I'll say foul. Um, I, think, I don't think they're out of gas. I think they're just inconsistent, which... That's what they've done all year. So I can't, I wouldn't want to see the audience. Also, too, they somehow play all the bad teams when they start, when they're playing their best baseball of the year. I think like the Nats are playing their best baseball of the year in their last like 25 games or something. Like, like how does this keep on happening to them, first of all? Like, makes zero sense. Um, second, but I, like I said, I, I think it's just very much, they've been inconsistent. I don't see any reason to believe that they're running out of gas. Um, it's not like they've had Devers go down with a big injury. I just, I just think it's kind of been the fact that they've been inconsistent and all year and they've been riding the highs and lows. Um, and this is just one of the lows where kind of everyone's going a little bit cold, um, which they had one of them earlier this year and then they bounced back and that's why they had a really good month of July because the offense was right there along with the pitching too. But so, yeah, I don't think they're out of gas. I think that's, I'd say that's a foul. That's a foul statement. So it's the the eternal baseball joke. You're you're not doing well uh, for a really long stretch of time. It just means you're due. You know he doesn't suck. He's just due. Uh, Micah, what do you think about this offense? Are they out of gas? I lean more with Derek on this one. I I would say it's foul. Um, I feel like that West Coast trip kind of put them to sleep for a little bit because they went on that West Coast trip. They had. They had just had two great offensive games against the Braves, and then they go out west, and they were quiet pretty much the entire trip. I think they haven't scored more than five runs in over two weeks or something like that. It's it's They just haven't had that constant attack, and it seems like they can't get five or six guys going at the same time. It's like one or two guys in the lineup, and then the rest are kind of off for the series. And that's really hard to to score runs, and and they're facing some of the worst pitching staffs in this last ten game stretch, 
and they haven't lit them up like I was kind of expecting, which is maybe a reason for concern because they're about to to face some really good pitching staffs coming up and they need to turn it on. But I I, I think with what Derek said is is pretty accurate. They've been really streaky and they've been really streaky for long stretches and I'm wouldn't be surprised if we see a good final three, four weeks of the season um, from the offense. I tend to agree and think it's more of they've been, they've been a streaky offense all season long and I've just been expecting them to bust out any day now, but that has kept on. I've been thinking that for two weeks. It's funny. They play the Braves Kenley gets his 400th save. Everything was, it was a high point of the season. And then they get swept by the Cardinals. Jansen blows two games. And that was, I think the second rock bottom moment of this season. I think we've had four by my account, four rock bottom moments. And then they, they play the Braves. They beat the Braves two out of three at home, uh, huge high. And then they go out West and all of a sudden they forget how to hit. Uh, Joey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't think they're out of gas. I think they're just really streaky. The team, the, the team's biggest problem is not the offense. I mean, there are some guys that are out of it now, and maybe they were due for, you know, to return to the due joke, maybe they were due to not hit. But uh, the team's just streaky. The, the offense is really, really streaky, and it's full of a lot of guys that aren't professional hitters. In a sense, you know, uh, Devers, I think, has had a certainly a, a down season from expectation. Uh, a lot of other guys have picked it up, but no, I don't think they have any right to be gassed anyway. The, the team, the offense has not been that good where, you know, we, we should expect a slowdown at some point. I think they're just really streaky and they'll pick it up when they're probably mentally feeling better. Personally, I see. I, I, I say foul too, so we're unanimous here. That's foul. They're just they gotta get hot again and time's running out to get hot. Um the only there's two exceptions to that in my mind. The two people I'm concerned with are Masataki Yoshida and Jaron Duran. Um, you know, Yoshida is used to coming from uh the Nippon professional baseball country club league where they play 140 games a year or whatever. They get Mondays off. Um, you know, it was very relaxed kind of schedule compared to this. So maybe he's not, his body isn't ready for this kind of schedule. And for this season, this season, he's got to get used to it. And then Jaron Duran, who was one of the, the hottest players in baseball at two different points this season. And now all of a sudden he's, he's swinging at too many pitches. He's not waiting for his pitch. Um, and now I, I, I heard he may have some, um, He's been struggling with uh, his mental health, which I didn't realize until today. So those are the only two guys that I worry may not recover. Everybody else I feel like could I, – I feel like I'm just waiting for them to get hot again. Even Justin Turner hasn't slowed up at the plate, but he's missing a lot of games with this uh, heel contusion that he's going to have to fight through for the rest of the season. Derek, what's up? Yeah, the only thing, too, I want to add about the NPB with Yoshida is you also have to remember they don't take a lot of plane fights. Plane fights very rare they – take a flight it's mostly buses um and, and so it and even too like in japan when they're playing like the players they don't they'll they take buses to the game they'll take a bus to their home games too 
right? And they're taking buses everywhere, ch- buses and trains and whatever. So you're not normally, you're not, Yoshida's not accustomed to flying. He's not accustomed to the time zone differences. Like, for example, going out on a West Coast road trip as well. Um, when you look at Japan, uh, if you move Japan to over to the U.S., uh, not on a regular map, there's actually a map online that has the correct size. So if you drag it to a different part of the globe, it makes the size the correct size. Because on a real map, it doesn't do that. It's off a little bit. Um, but Japan is basically like from Maine. The top island of Japan is from like Maine. It goes down to like, I think like South Carolina. And the mainland is from like North Carolina to like Massachusetts. Like, that's not that. That's not when you think of how big the U.S. is. Like, it, it's a big difference in the flying, even just playing in Tampa, flying from Boston to Tampa. And then maybe you're going and playing Houston. Then you got to go fly to Houston. Then you got to fly back to Boston. Like, that's a lot, right? Um, especially for a guy who hasn't done it his whole career. Well, he's going to have to figure it out if he wants to be a big league player. I mean, I, I don't really think that's a great excuse on his part. No, he'll figure it out. But I'm saying it is. A, there is still an adjustment to that, right? There's still an adjustment. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to totally push back, but... I feel like if there was a period for the adjustment to that, it would have been at the beginning of the season, right? I mean, maybe he's just maybe he's just run out of gas. Well, it's I mean, you could say he's running out of gas because of that. It's like it's not something that would hit all at once. It's that it's the grind. It's not just the travel, Derek Sand, but that's a big part of it. And but it's I think it's mostly you don't have every Monday off. You're playing more games, and it's just and it's I don't think it's a. I don't think of it as an excuse. It's a it's a potential reason, and it's troubling because the guy's thirty. You know, it's not it's not like he's twenty four and getting used to it. You know, he's got a five year contract. Who knows how long he's going to be here for? You know, four more years tops after this season. Um, Mike, did you have something? Oh, Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to state. um, I remember Jemai Webster did an interview with Yoshida um, in San Francisco and they asked him like, what is the hardest part? And he's like, this, these time zone changes. Um, and let's not forget the Red Sox schedule was just completely stupid because they were in Oakland. They flew back for like 10 days and then they flew back to the West coast for San Francisco and Seattle. So, I mean, I, if you look at his stats prior to that West coast trip, to San Francisco, he was really hitting the baseball against um, that series against Atlanta. He was hot. And I would love to know, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would bet his numbers are under 220 since that West Coast trip, that first game in San Francisco. And I just, I don't think it's a coincidence that his numbers went down once he switched time zones. I, I think that's a real thing. And sometimes when you, you lose your swing, it's hard to get back. And uh, coming back East Coast doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to, you know, rediscover your, your swing. It doesn't quite work that way. Actually, I have the Funny numbers you- in front of me. Uh, since the West Coast road trip, uh, since the, from that start of the San Francisco series to now, uh, he's got 15 games, 59 plate appearances. He's hitting 196 with the 220 on base and a 268 slugging. He has 11 hits. Four of them are doubles. Seven of them are singles. He's also got eight strikeouts and only two walks. Three walks in the last month. 
And I wrote about this on, uh, if you're listening to this, check it out on bleacherbrawls.com. My piece on the schizo socks uh, went up uh, this past Tuesday. Um, so check that out. Uh, diving into the the offensive struggles of late uh, and uh, what we can expect from this team during this stretch from this hot and cold, really hot and cold team. Um, we should do these last couple. We can't skip over these last couple topics considering what has just happened in the last half hour, actually. So we'll start with uh, Garrett Whitlock. Let's try and do these uh, a little quick. Garrett Whitlock, is he done as a starting pitcher? Um, Micah, start with you. I think so. Um, I was on board with seeing if Whitlock could be a starter, and the inconsistent health I think is enough to say I don't think he can stay healthy for the 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 duration of a season pitching every five days not everybody can do it and I'm just not sure he has that ability and they tried it this year and he's been off off and on the injured list all season long I don't want to see them waste another season of Garrett Whitlock and I would much rather see him be used in the, the bullpen as that Swiss army knife type role where he can come in in any situation and get you outs. I think that's where he, they maximize his value. Um, I'm ready to say, let's put to bed the, the, the Garrett Whitlock and the rotation conversations. Derek. Uh, I'll, I'll put it like this. I think he's probably done in the rotation, but I still think they stretch him out in spring training. Um, I think that seems most likely, uh, as a just in case too, because if for whatever reason, if somehow, some way you got like seven guys, you can start like they kind of did this year heading into spring training. And then like two of them get injured. It's like, oh, well we have Whitlock. We weren't, we didn't want to necessarily go to him, but like he's there. Right. Um, I think the ideal preference would be, though, to keep him in the bullpen. And when you look at his contract, his extension, it's still a really, really, really good deal for a reliever who can be as good as Whitlock is. So that's not a problem. I know there's been a couple of people about brought up like, well, what about the extension they gave him? And that's a starter's extension. It's not a starter's extension. It's even like the maximum amount of money he's making on that deal. I think like the last year before the team options, I think is like $7 million. Even for a good reliever, you will pay a good reliever seven million on the open market, uh, so you can't complain. I think the options can be like eight million and ten million, eight and a half million and ten and a half million. Heck, I mean, what Kenley Jansen's getting? What sixteen million or so, like? So forget Willock. No, it's not a starter's extension. I think he's fine in the bullpen. I think that's where he ends up. Uh, I'd say ninety nine point nine percent chance he's in the bullpen from here on out. Um, so Micah says fair, Derek says fair, Joey, fair or foul, Garrett Whitlock stays as a starting pitcher or done? So unfortunate, the, the rancid season he's had, but, uh, I think, yeah, I think they'll try it again, to be honest with you. I think they'll try to put him in the rotation again. Um, he has the stuff. I think we can all agree he has the stuff to be a starter. He just has not put it together and maybe... The season which the Red Sox were able to go far is the season where Whitlock is able to put it together. But, I mean, it seems like he's not doing very well now in general, whether he's coming out of the pen or starting. But I think they will try to put him in as a starter again. I think that's Bloom's agenda, and I think they're going to follow through with that the best they can until they really have no choice. 
Well, I say it's fair. I would say Garrett Whitlock is definitely done as a starting pitcher. I think he should be done as a starting pitcher. His body clearly can't hold up under the strain of a starting pitcher's workload. And uh, we've seen him as a great relief pitcher and an eh starting pitcher with oodles of potential. So, you know, I will take the really good relief pitcher uh, rather than risking, you know, ruining this guy's arm even more to the point where he's not giving you anything for this team. Um, next Pablo Reyes about 20 minutes ago, I was even more pumped about having this guy because I felt like he just turned the tide of a game, uh, tying, tying, tying the game against the nationals in the top of the eighth with a two run Homer, but then Garrett Whitlock came in and gave up four runs. Um, so Pablo Reyes, he seems to be, I wasn't expecting a thing from this guy. I was just like, all right another jag to fill in at shortstop until Trevor story comes back. And this guy starts, he's, he's a good fielder and he starts tearing the cover off the ball. Um, so now, uh, it, it begs the question is Pablo Reyes going to be, has he earned the job as the starting second baseman for the Boston Red Sox in 2024? Joey. Are the Boston Red Sox what from 2004 you cut out? Oh, sorry. Uh, is Pablo Reyes has he has Pablo Reyes earned the the starting second baseman job for the Red Sox in 2024, or will he earn that job between now and the end of the season? No, I don't think no, 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 no. I don't think he's. I think he's played pretty well. I I don't think though he has earned his position. We we've seen that Heimblum is pretty. Uh, this is not a criticism of him, really. He is very. St- results oriented very uh, he's like macro he's very macro right he sees a plan he wants to fulfill it and this guy was never intended to be the starting second baseman and and I think it's tough for Heimblum to just kind of let someone play into play until they get that rule I think ideally in in the offseason we'd upgrade at second base so hopefully not but he certainly done his part in order to be considered for that role but no I, I don't think he's earned that position and I don't think he can earn that position by the end of the season even if he does really really well you know it kind of reminds me of um you guys remember Yaro Munoz yep Yaro Munoz pronounced Jairo but yeah <laughs> Juro Juro Yairo Munoz Came in and he had a good spat when he was brought up. He hit very, very well. And then we just never saw him again. He never performed badly for this Red Sox team. He went out, he hit. It was very surprising. Out of nowhere, he did it. And he didn't have a role in the team the next year. So I, I think there are some examples of in the past where Bloom doesn't just take seasonal performance into account when preparing for the next season. Micah, what do you think? Fair or foul? Pablo Reyes will be the starting second baseman in 2024. I'm going to say foul. Um, I don't think he probably could do any better than what he's currently done. And I don't think anybody, Heimblum, anyone expected what he's done. It's been an incredible dart throw. Um, I like a lot of the characteristics that he has he puts the ball in play he doesn't strike out a lot he's versatile defensively Um, I think if he ends the year kind of like he's currently playing I think he will go into spring training I think they will bring him back and I think he'll go into spring training with an opportunity to win a job but 
he'd have to go out and win it. And the hard thing with second base is it's not a very deep position. There's not a lot of options around the league where you're going to say, yeah, I want that guy. And uh, I know Marcelo Meyer isn't necessarily tearing the cover off the ball right now and in double a but you don't want to sign a second baseman or go out and acquire one for that has two or three years of team control like the middle infield is going to be mayor and and trevor story so you need a stopgap for second base but probably on like a one-year deal i'm not sure you're going to find a lot of production on a one-year deal for second base so Pablo Reyes and uh, Luis Urias, that might be your second base combo next year. Um, I don't know if that's good enough. I, I don't know. But I think the second base position, you look at the top five, six, seven players, they're pretty good. But after that, they're kind of league average or below league average bats for the most part. So I'm, I'm not sure how much better the Red Sox really could do at second base. Derek, fair or foul? Pablo is going to be the starting second baseman. I think the Red Sox have their starting second baseman already in their organization, but I don't think it's Pablo Reyes. Um, so I'm going to say foul. I do. I think that they're banking on Luis Urias to be the guy he was in 2021 and 2022 at the plate. Uh, this year's just been like a crappy year for him. I mean, the guy got injured on opening day, hamstring injury. Like, like how many people does that happen to in the first place? You get injured on opening day, and then because the Brewers had so many young players in AAA – by the time he got back, it was just like, we don't really have a spot for you. And it put him in a weird spot. I think this year they're, they're banking on it just kind of being a down year and a weird year for him. And he kind of just got thrown off by that injury on opening day. Because when he's at his best, I mean, you're getting an above average hitter in what, your eight hole in your lineup? Like, you can't complain about it. I mean, you're getting the, you know, you're getting an above league average hitter in your eight spot in your life at second base, who's solid defensively, not great defensively, but he'll hold his own defensively at second base. I think that's what they're looking for. Um, and, I mean, his favorite player growing up was Dustin Pejoria, so, I mean, kind of a cool story. Luis Urias playing second base for the Red Sox, and his favorite player growing up was Dustin Pejoria. I think that's a pretty cool story as well. Um, I think they're going to bank on him because you look at the free agent market, there's not really any great options um, you're looking at even the trade market, like not nothing really there either. So I, I think they, st- I think they're going to trust Luis Arias. I think Reyes does end up in a uh, utility role potentially, um, but it also depends on like a guy like a David Hamilton, right? If David Hamilton comes out next year, looks great in spring training, and I know he's played a little bit of outfield, um, not a ton, but you know maybe they roll with him on the bench with this speed and they put him on the bench as their backup middle infielder. Maybe that's the way they go. Um, you also have Emmanuel Valdez, who I know defensively it's, you know, there's question marks, and we have kind of, we saw them, but he can hit. We know that. Um, so that I think that's kind of uh, where they're at. I don't think – I don't see them going for an outside option, and I think the interior preference would be Luis Arias. So we're unanimous again. I also think it's foul. I don't think he'll be the starting second baseman uh, next year. I think it's a matter. It's only a matter of time before this, you know, magical stro- hot streak of his uh, goes by the wayside. He's never hit like this before. I find it hard to believe he'll do it again. I think Whit Merrifield is a free agent after this year. I don't know if his option is a club option or a player option, 
you know, he was an all-star this year, so I can't imagine Toronto what not. Is he like he's got a mutual option, but it's $18 million, and it's only got a Oh, oh is it? Oh, wow. But at the same time, even, like, for how much he's going to cost, do you really go for Merrifield? Even that guy's overpaid. I thought he was I, – I, I still think of him as, like, an underpaid kind of surprise uh, player. <laughs> um, I no, thank the Royals for that, that contract. Much. I don't think it'll cost that much. He's 35, like – Merrifield's 35? I think, yeah. He's, wow. he's up there. I saw when I he's was in Alaska. Yeah, he's 35. When I was in Alaska, I saw some guy with a Whit Merrifield jersey. And I thought it was the most random player jersey I'd ever seen. He was an all-star this year and everything, but I was amazed that they even made Whit Merrifield jerseys, even in Toronto or Kansas City. It was a Kansas City Whit Merrifield ones, jersey. Uh, maybe it was his uncle. It was an older guy. Um, all right. 300 out of second base. You know, we've got to love that. Yeah. Um, all right. In true Luke fashion, the show is running long, but we are going to get uh, Derek and Joey's segments in. Uh, sorry, Pat, but the show is running long. Uh, Derek, uh, it's time for the prospect of the week. You have 60 seconds starting. Wait for it now. All right, well, um, the the obvious answer is Willier Bray. Uh, he just had a stellar week. I mean, uh, Sunday he had a three-homer game, which, I mean, hello, like, that's a really good game. Um, last week, uh, over that the course of the six games, he had 24 plate appearances. He hit 591 with a 625 on base and a 1,500 slugging. Uh, he had two doubles and six homers in that stretch. Um, he had another homer today, um, I'm pretty, I think it was. Um, just like he's been really, really, really good as of late. Uh, he's a guy who's pushing for a roster spot potentially next year, whether that's with the Red Sox or with someone else. Uh, and people, I think, dis- I think people underestimate how good he is defensively too. He's very underrated defensively, really good arm in right field. Um, is he going to fit with the Red Sox left-handed because he's also a left-handed bat? And you would say Rafael is probably ahead of them on the pecking order potentially. I don't know if it's with the Red Sox. Maybe he's a, maybe it's a trade, but I think he will be a big leaguer next year, whether it is with the Red Sox or with someone else. I think he's a big leaguer. Time. All right. Good job, Derek. I knew I had a feeling it was going to be Abreu, and I just I'm salivating over what Abreu and Valdez are going to get us, and probably David Hamilton are going to get us on the trade market because there ain't no room for at least well. There ain't no room for Hamilton or Valdez or York anytime soon. Maybe Abreu could find a spot. Um, all right. Well, it's time for it's time for the hat to be busted out. It is time for everybody's favorite game show, Joker's Wild Trivia. Joey just got up, so he is either looking for his signature host hat or he's looking for a button-up shirt that he can leave unbuttoned all the way down. And uh, so he can expose his his chest hairs. I I can see him standing right now. So that trip, all that barbecue he had in Kansas didn't put any meat on his bones, but it's still um, I'm I'm sure he enjoyed it. Kansas barbecue is nothing compared to Texas barbecue. That's all I have to say. Um, Joey, I'll hand it over to you uh, for Micah and anybody listening for for the first time. It's simple trivia rules. Joey will have a few questions for us and uh, we'll keep score. It's a, a Jeopardy rule, so wait for him to finish the question and then just shout it out uh, once you think you know the answer. 
Welcome, Micah, to, to my trivia game. Um, Luke is pretty much the reigning champion. I think he has the most victories. Uh, I have a theme for tonight. I could not find my hat. I, I don't know where it is, so I'm wearing my Bushmill hat instead. Uh, I think that's that's good enough. You know, I, I know Luke enjoys a good Bushmill every once in, a, once in a while. So I'll get started off with this. My first question, and just speak after I finish. Just just shout it out, and everyone gets a turn. Or everyone, if you get it wrong, everyone else gets a turn. You have to wait. Who is the oldest active position player in the MLB? Nelson Cruz. Derek. Nelson Cruz, who I believe is 41 or 42 years old, right? I think he's like 42 or 43. He's old. Yeah, the oldest active player is Rich Hill, but I think we all knew that. So I wanted to mix it up a little bit. Nelson Cruz, I don't think he's having a particularly good season. but he's He got certainly... DFA'd, but he's still technically active. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he played this year. He played this year, so he it's still – and he is doesn't he play active? a position. He, he also doesn't play a position. Yeah, he doesn't play a position. <laughs> he hits. I, he might have played my one mind, game. My mind so Derek, didn't think of one player. I, I didn't think of one player. You know who <laughs> I, I thought of was Jose Abreu, but he's not that old. He's he's, he's considerably broken down, but he, he's not particularly old. But so because he doesn't have a team right now, Derek, you got that right. But I think we're looking at that like – if uh, the way if if a fighter doesn't make weight and he still wins wins the fight he doesn't get the he doesn't get the championship. Asterisk on that question. He did play okay. one inning at first base this year, Nelson Cruz. <laughs> wow, what a what a man! My next question is, who is the oldest player to ever play in a major league baseball game? Who Satchel Paige. That's Luke. That's Luke. Satchel Paige. Bam. I think it said he was 56, which is crazy. Was it? Oh, I thought it was 46, but I know Necro was up there too. Um, and he pitched three scoreless innings, which is nuts. Uh, it, like it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, obviously it was a gimmick, but you know, three innings isn't a gimmick. You still have to pitch those three innings, and I'm sure no one on the opposing team wanted to uh, <laughs> let a 56-year-old man get them out. Also, another fact I learned from reading that is, while Satchel Paige was playing for the Cleveland Indians, the owner of the Cleveland Indians had to sell the team due to a divorce. So <laughs> just think about that for a minute. Selling your baseball team because you're getting a divorce. Frank really, really McCourt. Tough. Didn't Frank McCourt like the lose a significant time. percentage of his team to his wife in the divorce? I think he did. There's a, there's a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about that, actually. It's very good. <laughs> Satchel Paige was 59 in his last game. Jesus. What? Was he 59? That's nuts. <laughs> That's insane. Anyway, next question. I would, take, I would take Nelson Cruz at first base over Bobby Dahlbeck, by the way. Proceed, Joey. Yeah. Wow. I would take Satchel Page at first base, and he's not even alive. Right anyway. now. Yes, I would take his corpse at first base over Bobby Dahlbeck. <laughs> That's rude to Dahlbeck, man. That's rude. <laughs> my, my next question. Who was the oldest player... On the 2004 Boston Red Sox. Uh, Mike Wakefield. No. All right, Derek, you got a guess? Oh, God. I was one years old. And it's not going to be <laughs> someone obvious either. It's going to be someone random. Uh, I'm trying to... I don't know. Millar? I don't know. 
No. I'm, so no. we like, all right. So anyone want to jump in? Uh, Timlin. That's what I said. No, but he's number two. He's number two. Shoot. What? Embry? Nope. I, I give up. Doug Marabelli. <laughs> oh, Derek, final guess, Derek? Would it – could it be Schilling? No, but he's up there. All right. The answer was Ellis, <laughs> Ellis Burks. Oh, I forgot he came back that year. Yeah. Had like a yeah. cup of coffee. He got a ring. He got a ring. That's right. He got a ring. It's unbelievable. He got a ring. I think I grew hit- up watching that guy. Like my first year as a, as a baseball fan, six years old. Ellis Burks and Mike Greenwell were the centerpieces of that lineup. Greenwell's still my favorite player ever. So it's tied. Uh, what was it tied? Luke and Derek? One more uh, yes. All right. I'll come up with a tiebreaker off the top of my head. Just let me. Let me charge myself up. All right. Okay. All right. This question, which I don't think any of you guys are going to get right, so we might just have to call this one a tie tonight. Which country has the most Major League Baseball players by percentage, you know, per capita? Curacao. Curacao. Derek McGuire. Insane. How did you know that off the top of your head? Because I love players from Curacao. Dude, Rafael is from Curacao. He's my favorite prospect in the system. He's from Curacao. Jansen's from Curacao. Uh, a lot of the Cur- all the Curacao Ooh, players the play one? for the Netherlands team. Jansen, Kenley Jansen's from Curacao. Oh, that's right. He's from Bogarts as well. Yeah, oh, he's from Aruba. He's from Aruba. Um, oh, okay. Jerickson Profar, Ozzy Albies, they're from Curacao. Um, yeah, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of I, Angelton Simmons. I think is another one. I am in awe of. Of you just slamming that off the top of your head. You didn't give anyone a chance. Micah, Micah must think I, you're a, a I know that. <laughs> I've known that for a while. Also, though, also, Curacao also just, like, every year they're in the Little League World Series. And in Little League World Series qualification, like, the Dominican Republic has, like, one team. Venezuela has one team. Curacao from the same city has two teams that could, hmm. that could qualify from the little, for the Little League World Series. That's how good at baseball they are. That's nuts. Uh, they can play. Well, congratulations to Derek. It's his second uh, Joker's Wild uh, championship. Uh, he's still got a long way to catch up to me in my four. It might be five, actually. But um, well done. Um, that's going to wrap up the show for today. Um, Micah, thank you so much for uh, coming aboard. He just he did just um, – uh, he can't say this on the air, obviously. He did just say to me in the chat this was by far his favorite podcast that he's been on this year. Um, so we appreciate that, Micah. Um, just kidding. Any, uh, any, any last words, uh, before you take our leave? I appreciate you having me on and I'm now embarrassed about my performance in trivia. So <laughs> I might have to come back on and do some studying prior. And then I'm also wondering if Joey just gets those off the top of his head or does he write them down? I'm completely perplexed over here. He normally asks trivia about the 1920s. Which is why I never. Yeah, he's an old that. soul. His his usually the answers to his his questions are like Lefty Grove, Warren Spahn, Harry Hooper. Um, who's that? Smokey Joe Wood. That's his favorite. Smokey That's Smokey his favorite poll. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, um, my head, Mike, it might be a little tough. But you know, hopefully <laughs> next time you're prepared. Micah, I think Micah Owings is the only Micah to have ever played uh, in the major leagues. That. I, that we would need to check on that 
but um, that could be that could be a trivia question for you someday for your children. Um, but uh, again, thanks for joining us, Micah. Um, thank you, uh, Derek, uh, as always, uh, for your prospect of the week for winning trivia. Joey, thank you for besmirching me over and over again. <laughs> it is it is what you do best. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure you check us out every Thursday morning from here on. From no, every Friday morning we are going back to our regular Thursday night recording. So they'll, they'll drop on Friday mornings. Uh, moving forward for the rest of the season, uh, when Pat is back with us, uh, make sure you check out the Yankee, the Stripes show, the Yankee show on um, Wednesdays as well, and of course the Red Sox Yankees rivalry show on Monday mornings. And check out all our great stuff that we have for you on BleacherBrawls.com. Um, so for Micah, our guest and for Joey and for Derek, I'm Luke. Catch you later. We're out of here. All right, folks, that's the latest episode of Bleacher Brawls. Thanks for tuning in, for rating us five stars and leaving us a nice review. And don't forget to check us out on BleacherBrawls.com, on YouTube and on Twitter.